Hello, and welcome back to There Was an Idea, a Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. I'm your host, TK, a teacher and pop culture enthusiast. In this episode, the first installment of my new Character Spotlight series. I'm joined by Ellie of the Oh Shoot podcast to dig into Peter Parker's character arc in the MCU. If you're enjoying the podcast, you can follow me for updates and behind-the-scenes extras at anidea underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. And please consider leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also support the show by purchasing There Was an Idea merchandise from Spring. The link is in the show notes. Enjoy the episode. Today, I am joined by Ellie, who you may have heard on my recent 2021 MCU Year in Review special. She is also the host of the fun and nerdy film and TV review podcast, Oh Shoot. And germane to today's topic of discussion, she is a tremendous Tom Holland Peter Parker fan. Welcome back, Ellie. Thank you for inviting me back. I've already said it before, but I'm so excited for this episode and to talk about Peter Parker. Yes, yes. Listeners heard a little bit about you and your relationship to the MCU, as well as your love for this particular character during your last appearance. But tell us, what is new over at Oh Shoot? What kinds of fun and nerdy episodes do you have coming up? Well, we have started the transition from Marvel content into more general film content, if you will, which I'm very excited about because there's so many movies out there that I absolutely love. And I'm going to be getting into some musicals, which, again, I'm so excited for I because I love movies, but a big part of me is a massive like musical theater nerd. So I'm like musicals, absolute must. To be able to talk about them, share my love for them. That's super exciting. I've got several episodes planned for that already. And I am in the midst of devel- developing a eight-part series for Game of Thrones, which I have a very exciting guest, first-time guest, who's going to be making an appearance on the show for that. And it's their first time watching Game of Thrones, which is going to make these episodes even more exciting. Because me, someone who's seen the series several times, having vast knowledge of, you know, what happened across the series. And then in contrast to them, first time watcher, fresh opinions, they know basically nothing about the series. So I'm very excited because I, for obvious reasons, have not done something like this before on the show. Yeah. Well, listen, as both a listener of your show and of podcasts in general, and as a a creator of podcasts, I got to say that balance of someone who knows the, the content really well, and then someone who is bringing that fresh perspective to it is such a delightful combination. So that sounds really awesome, Ellie. Right? Uh, I cannot be... When the topic came up about Game of Thrones, and I was learning that they had never seen it before, I was like, okay, no, we need to do this. That's it's fantastic. It's a must. Absolute must. Some of my favorite episodes of this podcast were with friends of mine who I, for some reason... Thank you so much. You know who you are. Uh, listened to me when I was like, hey, can you please watch this movie and talk with me about it? And then uh, <laughs> some of them have from there really gotten into the MCU after that first entry point. So I'm, uh, I'm excited. You know sometimes to hear how all it, it takes is one movie. <laughs> That's very true. And for some people that that movie might star our, uh, our character of discussion today. So as I said, I knew from our 2021 year in review discussion with Sean that you would be the perfect person to bring back for some more Spider-Man-related discussions. And today, I'm kicking off a new ongoing series within There Was an Idea called Character Spotlights. One of the things I most love about the MCU is the ways in which characters are developed over the course of multiple entries. A character 
might be the focus of one story and then a supporting character in the next. Sometimes we go on a journey with a character that's not actually chronological. And the MCU storytelling structure is all about this zooming in and zooming out on various points of the timeline. And I just love that so much. So I thought it would be fun to look at one character at a time and really dive into their story arc, explore their identity journey, think about their growth, and try to pinpoint what their story is all about. And I think we'll have the most to work with with characters whose journeys in the MCU are either complete or, in the case of our guy today, <laughs> might not be, hopefully not, be complete. Oh, fingers crossed. <laughs> um, but have, have certainly come to the end of a particular era. So we are, of course, today talking about Peter Parker. Who better to start with? This is his moment. No Way Home is still in theaters, breaking all sorts of records. And I don't know about you, Ellie, except I think I do know, but I'm not over No Way Home yet. <laughs> I'm not over it. I'm waiting for the next opportunity where I can watch it again. I or like I have the DVD pre-ordered. Oh, <laughs> I'm good. Just waiting yeah. so I can watch it whenever I want and cry about it whenever I want. I know. I can't wait for it to to be released on physical media. I'm looking forward to the bonus features that are going to be on there. How many times have you oh. gone in in the theater? Um, I only saw it in theaters about I think like three times, three or four times. And, oh gosh, I definitely, I would have gone more, but those tickets get, get expensive. <laughs> um, but I got to say, every single time I watch it in theaters, it just kept getting better and better. And just the experience was com- enhanced. What yeah. about you? I did the four times and that's that's pretty nice. typical for me. I've been going four times for, for Shang-Chi and Eternals. I did five for Black Widow. I would have gone more for Spider-Man, except there was a period of time in between, like in the middle of this run while it, while it's been out in theaters that mm-hmm. it was the holidays. And then I was also in, in yes. quarantine and, and was sick for a little while. So there was a period of time there I wasn't going. And um, I don't know. I feel like I'm a broken record at this point. I'm so sorry, listeners. I talk about the AMC A-list stubs all the time, but I don't know if you have an AMC near you, but it is very worth it if you want to go to the movies all the time. If you're going to go see an MCU movie more than once, twice, it can be very worth it to get the membership. So you just pay once per month and then you can kind of go almost as much as you want. It's what's gotten me through the MCU in 2021. Honestly, the moving going experience, I gotta say, that's one of the things I've been most grateful for about things just starting to reopen, theaters reopening, and the chance to see MCU movies again on the big screen. Nothing beats that. There's just something very, very special about seeing Marvel films in a theater, especially when it's something like opening night or opening week, just that whole experience being there in a room full of fans who are excited to see the story unfold. It's a beautiful experience. I could not agree more. What was the big moment in your theater? So going back to the first time you saw No Way Home, what was the big moment that got the the strongest reaction out of the crowd? There were so many. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. I think, because again, there were several. The very first moment was the appearance of Matt Murdock. Yeah, Everyone, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, most of the theater was yelling and like screaming and just the excitement was there. And then I feel like the next biggest reaction was, of course, Andrew yeah, coming through the portal. And those little moments 
are what make the experience so worth it. And I don't know if your theater was the same or if any theater was the same. I was like, I don't know, maybe this was a Canadian thing. I have no idea. But (laughs) with, (laughs) with our theater, in these moments where everyone was super excited and screaming, it literally only lasted seconds because the second the character started talking, everyone went quiet. That's such a good point. It's like that excitement, but it's it's respectful excitement. It's like, we all know that we don't want to miss anything. (laughs) Right. Because I mean, I feel like I've heard people have this complaint about these moments and how the theater, people in the theater keep screaming and then they miss parts of the movie. I was like, I have never experienced that because every single time there's been a big moment across any movie like Infinity War, Endgame, mm-hmm. Spider-Man No Way Home, whatever the movie is, everyone just, you know, expresses their excitement, they scream, they shout, whatever. But it lasts like 5 seconds and then they quiet down so they can see what happens next. So it's such a respectful experience as well and I'm like I <laughs> love that about the fans. Yeah, that's that's how you know you're among the true fans too. I mean, that's certainly your opening night crowd. They do not want to miss a th- thing and uh i will say too even on subsequent watches the the four times i went there was reaction from the audience every single time even the mm-hmm. most recent time i went was well after the the new year and by that point i have to imagine everyone was spoiled for for the surprises in this movie and that many of the people there were seeing it not for their first time but even still there was just really good reaction and, and audience participation and uh Really, really good vibes at Spider-Man. And maybe I'm lucky too. I don't know. Maybe you and I both have nice, nice local theaters that we I go know. To. <laughs> I, was like, I hope I hope everyone has this experience yes. <laughs> and it's not just limited to just a few places around the world. But I'm grateful for it. I definitely am. So I gotta ask you this. What is it that you love about Peter Parker and specifically the MCU's Peter Parker? Where to begin? Like there's so much to love about this kid. And I feel like some of the elements that I love about him most is definitely rooted in the fact that he's still a teenager and he has this youthfulness about him and he's hopeful for the future. And he, well, I mean, prior to No Way Home, of course, right? <laughs> he just had this young mind and this young energy and this excitement for the world and especially a world of superheroes, which it's just so endearing to watch because after getting so used to seeing the Avengers, you know, we have these adults who've gone through a lot in life already and now have faced off with unimaginable villains and creatures and aliens and whatnot. But then you have Peter Parker, this teenager who's got these unimaginable powers and he's just trying to be, you know, like the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Like he's trying to do whatever good he can where he lives. And he's just so genuine and he's so authentic and he cares so much about the people that are close in his life. And he just, rare, he doesn't do anything for selfish reasons. He's such a selfless character and he'll not, he won't hesitate to get, get into harm's way to protect those that he cares about or his classmates or the average civilian. And it's, there's just so much to admire about his character. Yeah, I agree completely. And a, a few of the words that you use really stand out to me. The fact that he is so genuine and so authentic, I think those are perfect words to describe 
Peter Parker, especially this iteration of Peter Parker as played by Tom Holland. He brings, and, and you mentioned the fact that he is a teenager and how that there's something really appealing about that. As much as we we love our other heroes, there's an accessibility and simultaneously a, a nostalgia that, that I, I mentioned this on the Spider-Man episode that I did with Trey before No Way Home came out and kind of thinking about the character and his cultural legacy in general, not just MCU, Peter Parker. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I was really thinking about was how this is a character who appeals to both younger audiences and older audiences because he's that aspirational for for younger kids and he's relatable because he's a teen, but then he's also, he reminds you of kind of like the optimism and eagerness and, th- and enthusiasm that you mm-hmm. had as, as, as a younger person. And he he taps into all of that. And one of the things that really struck me thinking about how he he is this teen, right? One of the things that struck me on my most recent rewatch of Homecoming is that he's also a little bit annoying. And I mean that in the best way. Like the it, it's annoying in the same way that Kate Bishop was delightfully annoying. Like the I'm gonna keep calling Happy Hogan, right? I, I like I'm so <laughs> eager and Kate Bishop has this too. And I, I think that I, I love that about both of them, that this pureness, uh, purity is the word. Yeah. <laughs> and as you said, this authenticity, so charming and wanting so badly to to be involved and to help. And as much as I really liked that about Peter Parker in the MCU through Civil War, Homecoming, Infinity War, Endgame, and Far From Home, what I now really love about this character in the MCU is that he has also grown up a little bit in this most recent yeah. installment in No Way Home. I agree. And what it's what I love is that he is very much he stayed who he is and stayed true to his character and like he didn't do anything to change anything about himself. He's just learned along the way from his mistakes, from the sacrifices of others and just from all of these like little experiences, he's grown, but like, he's still authentic. He's still genuine. He yes. still has that element of like purity about him. You're so but right. His yeah. mind has grown. Yes, that's exactly it. Like I was dying to see this character go through some shit a little bit. And, and, and I was yeah. dying to see this character kind of like up against the rails. And we got that in no way home. And I, I, I've mentioned this before. I'm a little bit, I think a glutton for punishment. Like I kind of want to see my favorite character suffer a little bit. It makes me love them more. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what that says about me, but I, so I, I wanted Peter to go through that, but you're absolutely right. Like what makes him such a strong character here in the MCU is that it hasn't fundamentally changed who he is. And it just highlights those qualities that we've already mentioned that are so wonderful about him and make him such, as you said, a character to be admired. All right. So one of the things that I would like to do in the spirit of There Was an Idea is when we're thinking about a character's arc, what are the big themes that stand out as being integral to their story? So in MCU Peter Parker's character arc, what is there an idea about, Ellie? Well, in reference to probably one of the most iconic lines that ever is a part of Spider-Man's story, (laughs) it has to do with the growth and the understanding of what comes with having these powers. Mm -hmm. That's something that's always been so crucial to his character, especially since he's one that wears masks and hides his identity from others. And again, Spider-Man has insane powers, unimaginable strength that to a point where 
it's not always clear how strong he actually is, especially like in the MCU. In No Way Home, it was one of the first times that we really got a true glimpse of how far he can take his skills and his powers. Yeah. Because we saw little glimmers of it, but having powers and having these strengths is one thing. It's what you do with them. It's the response, again, like, you know, the responsibility that comes with having these, because even if you call, go back to civil war and he's talking to Tony and he says like, you know, some along the lines of, you know, something goes wrong and like, you don't do anything about it. It's kind of like, well, what's the point? So when it comes to Spider-Man going through these experiences and understanding what you can use your powers for is so crucial to his character. Yeah, I think I think you nailed it. Like, I think that that really is what it is all about for Peter Parker is as much as that line about great power and great responsibility is so present in our culture and perhaps misused or overused in mm-hmm. <laughs> in terms of yeah. pop cultural references. I feel like it was so powerful when it finally had its moment in the MCU. And, and you know, we've talked about our favorite moments in the MCU in 2021. And mm-hmm. that is certainly one of them because it, it felt like putting a putting a point on what this story has been about all along for, for Peter Parker in the MCU, the homecoming trilogy, so to speak, as well as the other appearances that he's had in between. It is a growing up story. It is a coming of age story. As you said, it's also a secret identity story. It's a story about a character grappling with duality, coming to terms with himself, and what a beautiful manifestation of a character having to come to terms with himself and face himself then literally Mm -hmm. externalizing that and making it other universe versions of you it's just so well done and there's this real tension always across these movies about who he feels like he is who peter is and then who the public persona of spider-man is and it's such a simple story and it's so integral to superhero storytelling in that secret identity way but in, at the same time, it's kind of unique to the MCU because in the MCU, the secret part of the identities is not really a big part. You know, I've talked about this with people before. The When Tony Stark at the end of Iron Man says, I am Iron Man, that is an immediate subversion of, of everything we've kind of known mm-hmm. about superhero identity stories. This is a world in which the heroes are going to be open about that other aspect of their life. But for Peter, that has never been the case. And so he's, he's grappling with that here, too. It's just something that's so interesting and definitely was amazing to see how it all unfolded in No Way Home because, yeah, again, it's something that he struggled with. And there's a lot of understanding that comes into it in being his own person because it also makes me think of him in Homecoming where and even kind of like in Civil War, he looks up to Tony Stark a lot. That's Mm -hmm. his mentor. It's someone who he kind of wants to be like. And that plays into it as well of his growth because before his mindset was, I want to be like Tony. I want to be like Iron Man. I want to be like the Avengers, but it all like really comes down to just him being his own person and his own hero. And that's something that he had to understand and learn too, that, you know, there's nothing wrong with being your own person essentially. Mm -hmm. Like you don't need to be like this other hero you don't need to be just like them. You don't need to, you know, take up the mantle. Yeah. That's there. And that's, I feel like that's another element that closely like ties into it and plays such a big part of his story within the MCU. You're so right. I, I, that is such an excellent 
point because there's so much of the of the specter of Iron Man hanging over this character from he you know Iron Man is the one who comes to recruit him in his very first appearance from the very beginning these two characters are tied together for us in the MCU I pulled out my blu-ray of homecoming the other day and I'm noticing on the cover art there's Iron Man flying in the background mm-hmm. right like it's always been part of the story that Iron Man was there of course, far from home, it's literally the the ghost of, of Iron Man, the, the pressures and the expectations of who's going to be the next Iron Man hanging over him. So I think it's so important that you brought that point up, that part of his story too, is um, creating some distance between what people expect of him or what he's come to expect of himself because of, of perhaps being in that shadow of Iron Man or the other Avengers and learning what his own sense of self is, really coming into that, really coming into his own sense of identity. And so- mm-hmm. To that end, one of the things that I like to look at, and it's really an English teacher strategy that my friend and colleague Kat Delandry imparts to our students and shared with me, well, she has shared with me many, many times and uh, shared with us back on the very first Iron Man episode of this podcast, is if we're looking at characterization, let's take note of how other people describe the character, what are the words that they use in, in describing him, and then compare that to how are the character describes himself. And so it was kind of an interesting exercise. I I spent a little bit of time noting what are some of the ways in which other characters describe Peter over the course? How do those descriptions perhaps change over time as well? And then how does that stand in contrast to to what he says about himself? Did you notice any particular lines of other characters' descriptions of Peter that really resonated with you? Uh, Yeah, kind of going back to his youthfulness one of the first things I thought about is the constant statement or reference a lot of characters would make to Peter as a kid or the kid when they're talking about him they'll say oh the kid so and so or the kid blah 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 whatever it is and I feel like that again brings it back down Peter is just a kid in these movies He's a teenager. He's the youngest one. He's the youngest hero amongst compared to everyone else that's there. And we kind of like touched on it before, but, you know, he has a lot to learn about the world. He's got a lot to learn in general, and he's still got to grow up. He's got these insane powers and these insane, this insane amount of strength, but he's still a teenager living in New York, going to high school taking part in school activities, hanging out with his friends, like building Lego with Ned. Like he's still a kid. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people, when they look at him, that's exactly what they see. I mean, that's also what Tony saw in him. You know, he was like, Hey, this kid's got a lot of, a lot of power, a lot of strength. He can do a lot with it. But again, still a kid still has a lot to learn about the world and about the responsibilities of, you know, being a hero or even being an Avenger. And that always sticks out to me because I feel like people often forget that Peter's just a kid in these movies Mm -hmm. and they view him to be a lot older than he is, especially when the mask is on. You can forget that sometimes. That's a great point. And I think it's very much a message that Peter internalizes as well. And I think that you can see him struggling with that. Simultaneously, you have Tony Stark in Homecoming telling him, 
you know, everyone thought I was crazy recruiting this 14 year old kid and, and this language, this, he calls him spiderling the first time he meets him, you know, <laughs> spider, oh, boy. spider boy. <laughs> right. And he's struggling. He's like, no spider man. Right. I'm thinking about homecoming where he's like, you know, I'm not a girl. I'm a boy. I'm a man. Right. Like, like it's very mm-hmm. much part of what he is struggling with is, is asserting himself as a man, but also he doesn't need to be a man yet. He is a kid. And there's other moments too, mm-hmm. where he seems to want to lean into I'm a 16 year old kid from Queens, right? He tells Mysterio. So it's like this constant struggle for him. People are treating me too, too much like a kid. People are treating me not enough like a kid. Right. <laughs> and he's very much in that in-between space, which listen, I'm sure a lot of adolescents can relate to. Agreed. Agreed. One of the other things that Tony says to him when he first meets him in Civil War stuck out to me. He tells him you're in dire need of an upgrade. And part of me is like, oof, right? Like, how does Peter, who, as you mentioned, really looks up to Tony Stark, how would he internalize that message of hearing, you know, oh, I I need an upgrade? You know, like, here, here he is, and he's been fighting the good fight for, as he says to Tony, the little guy. And I almost get the sense in that first meeting that Tony Stark is a little bit like, okay, yeah, you're you're doing it for the little guy with like this, but there can be so much more. (laughs) Like, yeah. um, So I don't know. What do you, what do you make of that? I feel like in Peter's case, I feel like he'd be just starstruck and would, wouldn't take something like that too hard just because of how much he admires Tony. And I feel like maybe he sees what Tony means, especially when you look at, you know, what Peter's working with. He's making web fluid in his science labs. He's, his suit is basically a sweatsuit. Like (laughs) it's (laughs) very DIY, which I have to say his is probably my favorite, like DIY Spider-Man suit before the up, you know, quote unquote upgrade sure. that they all get in their movies. I, his is one of my favorites because I'm like, it, it feels the most realistic. It does. Because why wouldn't you just like pull on a hoodie and <laughs> just roll with it, right? <laughs> I just feel like for his character and his connection to Tony, he's just like, okay, whatever you say, you think I need an upgrade. That makes sense. Yeah. Because you're you're the adult. You have this like wealth of knowledge. You're this insanely smart billionaire, like whatever you say. Yeah. And there is so much of that, that I think is, is part of the struggle that he has with coming into his own identity, as you were saying too, because transitioning a little bit into what are some of the ways in which he describes himself, you know, he says to Tony Stark, I just wanted to be like you. And Tony says, Mm -hmm. I wanted you to be better. Like, oof, what an exchange. Mm-hmm. And again, a lot of pressure to put on the kid. And I'm, I'm not trying to be all like blame Tony Stark here. And I don't want to look at it just from a perspective of, oh, he's putting all of this pressure on on this mm-hmm. impressionable kid because he's also offering Peter the opportunity to to have a, a wider impact on a greater number of people. Right. So yeah. I can kind of sit here a little bit cynically and be like, Peter wants to help the little guy. And Tony, why are you kind of coming in and almost uh, condescending to that in a way. You, I, I think yeah. one could read it that way, but I also want to give the generous reading of, you know what, the way that Tony Stark thinks and, and views the world is, why not help more people? And you can help more people if you upgrade this mm-hmm. technology. You can help more people, yeah. right? I don't want you to just be like me. I want you to be better than me. And mm-hmm. um, and I think that that's really cool. Mm-hmm. I think 
with that, it also, it's just also ruining such of how interesting of a character Tony even is. Yeah. Because he carries his guilt with him always. And he's always looking back on his past mistakes and the errors that he's made. And I feel like that always came to the front of his mind when he was talking to Peter because Peter's so young and of course, like he is impressionable and, but there's this opportunity for him to do so many great things. And there's that willingness too, because Peter genuinely wants to help others. And with, when Tony's like talking to him, he's just thinking about all the mistakes he's made, all the people that he's hurt. And he's just like, I don't want this kid to go make these same mistakes or have to go through something where he's going to carry this kind of guilt like I've experienced. So it's just a very interesting dynamic between the two and also so deeply rooted into the character of Tony and how he's changed with his experiences as well. That's an excellent point. And I hope to do a character spotlight on Tony sometime soon. That would be a very long episode. It's going to be a a very long episode when I do get around to it. And it's going to require a lot of forethought, I think. I mean, I know the character Mm -hmm. of Tony well, obviously, as a fan of the MCU and someone who's been aware of this character since 2008 and Mm -hmm. and really has watched that progression. But at the same time, I also feel like Tony is a character who I haven't spent as much time with. Like, he is a character that sometimes I have competing readings on. So, Mm -hmm. uh, of course, this isn't the Tony episode, but of course, we're touching on him because of that relationship with Peter. But that's definitely one that I'm looking forward to digging into a little bit more, um, because, as you said, it's really rich. There's lots of layers when it comes to that character. (laughs) Very much so. Lots and lots of layers. (laughs) (laughs) So thinking again about ways in which other characters describe Peter, one of the things that I noted was that his buddy Ned, this is this how you know Ned is such a good friend. Mm -hmm. Ned doesn't typically tell Peter who he is. Instead, yeah. Ned asks. He asks so many questions. And I love that about him the so best. much. <laughs> it's so sweet. <laughs> it's so sweet. And he's such a good, such a good friend. Um, and then the only other one that I that I had here was in Far From Home. You have Mysterio saying things like, You're a scared little kid in a sweatsuit, or mm-hmm. you're a good person, and that's such a weakness. And Mysterio, I think, is an interesting foil to Peter. You know, he's an interesting antagonist to Peter because he gives voice to a lot of these insecurities. And I think, to your point, a lot of people have called Peter a kid in a lot of different ways. I think that's his biggest insecurity at the end of the day, is that he is that little kid in the sweatsuit. So I think that's an interesting... And then, of course, you go to No Way Home, and now all of a sudden... People are calling him a murderer. <laughs> yeah, no, that was actually one of the lines that I had uh, where J. Jonah Jameson's like, when they reveal his character and he's like, turns out he's just a 17 year old, like high school delinquent harboring a homicidal hunger is in fact the vile vigilante villain Spider-Man. And it, it's a mouthful of a line, but <laughs> it's just crazy because obviously we've seen him for so long. Like we know who he is. We know the character. We know he's not a villain. Like, we know he's not a bad guy. And obviously, this was all rooted in his, uh, you know, quote unquote, murder of Mysterio. Uh, and obviously, we don't, we know that's completely fake. We know it's a farce. We know he's being framed for this. 
but it's such like an interesting parallel to these these media outlets who are like, he's a villain, he's a bad guy, he's public enemy number one. Yeah. It's just, it's so interesting to see that dynamic. And of course, this is like the power of media as well, of how many people jumped on board with that and believed what they were saying and began to believe that Spider-Man isn't a hero and that Peter Parker isn't a good person. I know. It's scary. <laughs> it's really scary. It makes a moment like when the um, the admissions counselor from MIT looks at him and says, Peter, you're a hero. Like th- that moment really hits because the whole first part of that movie is all you're hearing are those J. Jonah Jameson headlines. And you're hearing these people mm-hmm. who have bought in to that that propaganda. And for Peter to be called a hero by someone, you know, genuinely in that moment when he just mm-hmm. saved her life, I think is really Really important. Shout out to J. Jonah Jameson's fantastic use of alliteration. The example you just gave, there's another part of the movie where he says something about what pernicious propaganda are you peddling or something like that. Like he yeah. just got great. <laughs> it's impressive. It's so good. And and of course, um, of course, his delivery is so excellent. Why am I blanking on J.K. Simmons? J.K. Simmons, yeah. <laughs> I feel like no no other person could play such a character. Oh, he's perfect. He's absolutely perfect for it. And I'm so glad that they brought him back from the Raimi universe into this, uh, the MCU. And they didn't even explain it or, or make any connection to the multiverse. It's just, it's just who he is. Right. That's J. Jonah I think Jameson. there was some, some article that was basically just saying he's a variant. Probably, right? He's just the variant that exists in this universe. And I was like, you know what? I'm like, I don't even care what the explanation is. I just love that it happened. I'm with you there. I'm with you there. Uh, So any other lines in terms of like words that are in other people's mouths about Peter? Kind of, yes. So it has the word kid in it, but that's not the point of the line. (laughs) In Infinity War, um, when Tony's like, yeah, but the kid's seen more movies, which is (laughs) an element that we've seen multiple times where his plans to take down a villain is like rooted into pop culture and like rooted in some, you know, re- quote unquote, really old movie as <laughs> Peter usually puts it, even though they're not that old. But again, that kind of brings it down to his youthfulness, but also his outside of the box thinking. Yeah. Because he doesn't just go for like the obvious plan. Like he thinks outside of the possibilities of like, okay, what can I do with what's around me to take down this villain? Or even with, um, and far from home when like he couldn't use his web shooters, like he looked around to see what was on the ground and he made like a makeshift shield and he had that almost like a hammer. And it's one of those things where it also just shows how intelligent his character is. And you can see how different characters kind of do pick up on this because they're like, okay, the kid's got the plan to take down the villain, but it's in reference to a movie he watched. <laughs> Like, that's just, I feel like it's such a small little element of his character and of how people may view him, even though they may just like pass it off as like something random. It is rooted into, you know, his intelligence and his, again, his like outside of the box thinking. I'm so glad you brought that up. His his pop culture savvy is such a a crucial part of his character. I love that it 
it comes up time and again um, with the, what was it, the Empire Strikes Back and Aliens and right. it, it's it's fantastic. So I'm really glad that you brought, I'm really glad that you reminded us of, of that aspect of his character as well. It's a something that makes him unique, something that that kind of makes him tick, that gives him a little bit of a personality beyond the the burden and the heaviness of what it means to be Spider-Man. He's also just like a kid mm-hmm. who likes fun and nerdy things. Yeah. Um, Agreed. So I touched on a couple of these already, but I did want to look at some of the standout lines in which Peter describes himself and kind of think about how that changes over time. One of my favorite ones is in the very first scene when he meets Tony Stark and Tony asks him what what gets him out of his twin bed in the morning. And he says, I've been me my whole life and I've had these powers for six months I read books, I build computers, and yeah, I would love to play football, but I couldn't then, so I shouldn't now. And this completely connects to the line that you already mentioned about when he says, when you can do the things I do and you don't, and the bad things happen, they happen because of you. That's our early version of the great power, great responsibility. Mm -hmm. And he's already, when we first meet him, he's already internalized that. And I just love that so much that he says, I've been me my whole life, and I've had these powers for six months. Like, his sense of who he is has remained true, it seems. Mm-hmm. And it's not a but. I've had these powers and now everything's changed. It's just like, it's an and. I also have these powers. I, I just really like that. I agree. And like again, that's just what's so amazing about his character is he doesn't change. And just because he got these powers, nothing changed about him. He didn't change who he was. Like, ah, I just love it so much. That's um, the line where... It's like, oh, look, when you can do things that I can't, but you don't, and so on. I That's one of the lines that I put, because again, it is rooted in that responsibility. And, you know, with great power, there must also come great responsibility. It's so rooted in that because his sense of purpose and what he does with his powers and his want to use them for good, it's so integral to him. And he definitely sees that about himself. Yes, he definitely does. And there you you mentioned earlier in this conversation that he's not a character who is selfish. And mm-hmm. we see throughout Homecoming and Far From Home, and frankly, even in No Way Home, we see all of these moments in which he really could be. And these moments where he almost flirts with it, right? He flirts with being selfish when Peter when Spider-Man is going to make an appearance at Liz's party in Homecoming. Yeah. He flirts with being selfish, even like he walks into that homecoming dance. He could have stayed. But he didn't. He knew he had to walk away. There, there was no question yeah. in his mind. He, there's a line he says in Far From Home where he says, I didn't think I was going to have to save the world this summer. And then immediately says, I know that makes me sound like kind of a jerk. Right? Anytime he tries yeah. to give himself a little bit of a respite, a little bit of a break, allows himself to lean into that being a kid a little bit, it's like he he has uh, this sense that, no, I'm not going to do that. I can't. I can't make the selfish decision here. And uh, and I think that that's that's really interesting, too. Agreed. And that it definitely it's so that's what makes him such a great hero as well, because he definitely had every opportunity to make those selfish choice choices. But he knew that that what the result of it could be, what Mm -hmm. the potential could be if like the cause and the effect, you know, yeah, if he, you know, chose to stay at the homecoming, stay at not 
say like, screw you to Nick Fury, like screw you Mysterio, do whatever. If you want to cause destruction, go for it. Mm -hmm. If he made the choice to just like not do anything, he knew what the result of it was going to be. He knew the destruction and the terror that would come with it. He knew all the bad things that could happen from him making that choice. Yeah. And he doesn't want the bad things to happen because of him. Exactly. Yeah. It's really quite beautiful. And I, I, what I appreciate about Far From Home so much is the way in which he's grappling with this being the next Iron Man. Because to your point, I, I think you, you said it so articulately, articulately earlier, which is that he needs to realize that he's not going to be the next Iron Man. It's not about taking up the Iron Man mantle, as you said, it's about forging his own identity as a hero. And so to hear him, you know, he says a few times in, in Far From Home, right? The world needs the next Iron Man. It's not me. Uh, he says to Happy Hogan, everywhere I go, I see his face. The whole world is asking who's going to be the next Iron Man. I don't know if that's me. Happy, I'm not Iron Man. And what an important moment in his journey too to recognize I'm not this guy. I'm not my mentor. I'm not my hero. I'm not the world's hero. I'm my own thing. <laughs> I'm a 16 year old kid from Queens. I'm a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Um, but he, he knows, he, he says in no way home that he's the most famous person in the world. Right. And follows yeah. it up with, and I'm still broke. Right. Like he, he's right. got humility as well. Um, man, like the, the amount of, um, maturity that this right? young person has is really, really it's fantastic. Amazing. I mean, the unfortunate thing is that he, this maturity, this maturity was forced upon him because of his experiences, right. you know, right. cause you know, they weren't the greatest. And like, that's almost like the unfortunate aspect that he never got the chance to just be a teenager because yeah. he became, he wanted to help people so much and be supportive that he was actually getting into these really serious situations and, that's just a bit of like the sad part of his character and his character's journey and not getting that chance to just, again, be a kid and go through those experiences, go to homecoming, like go to the party of the girl he has a crush on. Like that's just the unfortunate aspect of it all. Yeah. He, uh, it's that relatable moment in every young person's life when they're like on a bus going to a school trip and instead you just end up taking a ride into outer space to fight some aliens right. like <laughs> you know it's just the average experience of any yeah, teenager just that teenage thing of turning <laughs> to dust and coming back five years later <laughs> yeah yeah you know wow. watching your father figure die in front of you watching your mother figure die in front of you and this is yeah. after you've presumably lost your mother and your father and like mm -hmm. right like it, it's like you because he's, lo he's lost so much throughout <laughs> so these much his story, it's, it hurts me. <laughs> yeah, it, it really is. And, and this most recent rewatch I did of, of some of these earlier movies now, you know, having seen No Way Home, going back, rewatching Homecoming, I'm just like, so touched by this character's story. And I always enjoyed that movie very much and, and found it to be fun and sweet and found Peter to, you know, be that slightly precocious, uh, you know, sweet, eager, enthusiastic character who I really enjoyed. But now it's just I, I just feel it so much more deeply thinking about where his story, where his story goes. Hmm. So what I wanted us to do was in thinking about Peter and thinking about how he has grown in the MCU. I originally pitched to you, let's share three moments each. <laughs> <laughs> and then I wrote to you and said, 
listen, I have way more than three moments that I could talk about. I think what we'll do is we'll kind of go, I, I have a list here. I'm sure you have some moments in front of you. And I'd like to go chronologically. We've already touched on some of these moments in, in touching on some of the quotes, but I'd like to kind of, if we can, kind of go back and forth chronologically a little bit and just point out, give give mention to some of the other moments that really are the the milestones the, the, that the signposts in this character's journey that show us how much he really has grown and really point to who he is at his core. So uh, what's what's the first one that you have on your list in terms of chronology? In Civil War, the first time we see him, not in Queens, but the first time we see him in a fight with all the, like with everyone else, the, all of our Avengers, when he does the nice little flip, steals the shield from Cap, lands in the car and his little like, hey, everyone. So good. It's such a little moment that's just, again, so rooted in his character. And he's expressing, you know, his admiration for Cap. And again, he's just a kid who's looked up to the Avengers and he has this admiration for them and he knows who they are. And up until that point and beyond, you know, they've played such a big part in his life. So it's like in this little moment, he's starstruck. Like, yeah, he's there to fight. But there's this brief moment where it's just like, oh, my God, all of these heroes that I've looked up to for basically more like half my life are right in front of me. Mm-hmm. And not only that, I am here fighting on the side of Iron Man against these other Avengers that I do have this love for. And it's just like one of those little moments where it's just like it's big for his character. Definitely. I don't so know. If- I would say like that's like the first one. I I like broke everything off into like Civil War, Homecoming, Far From Home, and No Way Home, so I could just yes. <laughs> see them clearly. Yeah. Do you have anything else from Civil War, or is that the big one? Um, I say like that. Well, since we already talked about um, the yeah the like recruitment scene meeting with Tony the first time, because that's just another big part of it. Totally. But I'd say that is the biggest one for me for Civil War, though. Yeah, that's that's such a good standout. I'm I'm glad that you highlighted it. I don't know if you've ever been in a fight before, but there's usually not this much talking. <laughs> As Sam Wilson expressed. <laughs> Great line from Sam. No, that that's such a wonderful introduction to, to Spider-Man, right? Like we get our introduction to Peter, the sweet kid in the scene with Tony, the recruitment scene. And then we get our introduction to MCU Spider-Man in earnest in the scene you mentioned. And uh, what an exciting, what an exciting start that is. Jumping to to Homecoming, the first one that I actually have here, and so if you have something that comes earlier in the movie, let me know. The first one I have is when he's stuck in the shipping container talking to Karen. I have, an, I have earlier ones, but we briefly talked about it. Um, one is when he's making, oh, actually, no, this one comes before, when he's in class and he answers the question without any hesitation, even yes. though he was distracted. I noted. I, I like, noted that too. Damn, I didn't put it on my list, but smart. So good. This kid is smart. Such an important I moment. Could to... never. It's like he. All he did was he looked at the board, immediately put like two and two together. What I don't know what the formula was or whatever. I have zero understanding <laughs> of these things, and he just he had the answer. And then the next one when he's just like making his web fluid in chemistry class. Mm-hmm. Again, like also rude in the fact that he's just using school supplies to 
create his web fluid. So resourceful. And not only that, he's got like different formulas for it. Like he's got like version one, version two. Like he's constantly trying to make it better. Mm-hmm. And that's just like another nice little moment. Yeah, fantastic. It does so much. Because that, that moment that he answers the question too, it's like, he's distracted. He's looking at YouTube videos of Spider-Man or something, right? Like, <laughs> like he's, he's or he's looking at his Civil War videos. He's looking at something, but he, uh, he, he's still, he's on top of it. He's so smart. And it's important, I think, that they established early on that this is a smart kid. Yeah, I, I then highlighted the shipping container scene. There's, there's a bunch of smaller scenes too. I was trying not to pick too many. But what I really like about that scene when he's talking to his Karen suit is visually what it communicates that he's there in his Spider-Man suit wearing a hoodie over it and then wearing his yellow decathlon jacket over that. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of communicating all of these layers to him, all of these different identities that he wears and he's in there and we see that typical Peter enthusiasm of shooting his webs and and that curiosity and the sweetness. Like he's talking to Karen. He's like, he's like, I don't really think I want to call you suit lady. Like let's give you a name, right? Like he's very sweet. Um, and then he's like, how long have we been in here? And it's been 37 minutes. Like, <laughs> like he's impatient too, you know? And that's that's such a wonderful thing about him. Very relatable too, because I feel like I've had moments like that where it feels like I've been somewhere for hours or I've been doing something for hours. And I'm like, oh my God, how long has it been? <laughs> like, I must be close to finishing up here, whatever. And then I look at the time, it's like, oh, it's only been 20 minutes. That's great. That's great. <laughs> Relatable Peter Parker. Oh, right? <laughs> uh, what else do you have from Homecoming? Uh, the next one I have is when he's holding the two sides of the ferry together. Yeah. Iconic. That's, again, a, yeah, right? Iconic. Another testament to his physical strength. Holding two sides of a ferry together, just like with his webbing with people on there with cars you know you've got the it's filling with water so obviously (laughs) it's kind of sinking a little bit like there's just a lot of weight there and he's holding them together with all his might for as long as he can and then of course iron man comes to support a bit but it's just like another testament to spider-man's strength and how strong the character is physically yeah that's a great one we already touched on how he decides to walk away from the homecoming dance uh just not to put too fine a point on it but i I, he does so much growing up in those scenes in liz's house and in the car with vulture with adrian tombs Mm -hmm. i just i love everything about that sequence of scenes just the suspense that builds and the dramatic irony of who knows what in those moments um so so there's that and then, I mean, another really big moment in Homecoming has got to be, come on, Peter. Come on, Spider-Man. Come yep. on, Spider-Man. Like, oh, yep, my goodness. I have that line, too. Take it away. That part, too. Oh, man. That part in Homecoming is, I feel like, especially to me, it's just like one of the most important parts of his character. And again, like coming to terms with who he is. And in that moment, it's like calling back to Tony's line where he's like if you're nothing without the suit then you shouldn't have it and that just comes down to like the suit doesn't make you who you are like the suit doesn't make you the hero it's your powers it's your strength it's what you do with it 
that's what makes you a hero. It's not the suit. And like, he's there, he's trapped underneath the rubble with, you know, his DIY, like sweatsuits, <laughs> spider, like Spidey suit. And it's that little reminder and thinking on that. And again, like saying like, come on, Spider-Man, like that's who he is. Like that is such a big part of who he is and that strength. That's all him. Yeah. The suit doesn't give him that. That's all within Peter and using that to motivate himself and to understand how that's such a big part of who he is and not even just part of who he is, just who he is, period. Yeah. Is what really pushes him to be able to get out of that moment and that like hyper focus on he needs to get out of this situation so he can stop Vulture. And I think it's some of that realization, you know, that kind of like looking in the reflection and seeing half of his face and half of the the mask face and finding that inner strength. I think that, you know, that's what propels him to make the decision he makes at the end of Homecoming when I just love the scene when, you know, Tony brings him to Avengers Tower. And of course, Peter, you know, he has that line where he's just like, okay, that was a test, right? Like there's nobody really here. But um, there's that moment where Tony is basically like, you know, is it yes or is it no? And he's just like, no, he just, he's just so confidently so quickly. It's just like, no, like I'm, I'm not, I'm not doing this. I, he has so much confidence in that moment that he, he's going to look right in the eye of his mentor, his hero and say, no, right. Like I'm going to be the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. It's, it's so good. (laughs) I love, I love that about him so much. And especially that moment it really does show his growth and just like his understanding of his power and just that understanding of what he even wants in life and Mm -hmm. what he feels his responsibilities are in that moment in time. And I think that's exactly it because if if I jump to like then the next moment that I'd want to highlight, it's his growth and his understanding in that, right? So at the end of homecoming, that moment in time, it's important for him to say, uh, I think he even says something about uh, staying on the ground for a little while. Friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Somebody's got to look out for the little guy. And mm-hmm. then you jump to Infinity War and he he hitches a ride into outer space. And he says to Tony, I did think this through. You can't be the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man if there's no neighborhood. And that's such a huge moment because he's now kind of changed his mind. He's grown since homecoming to realize that, wow, like, this level of threat is so important that I have to be part of this. I have to do my my part. I have to take responsibility because there's going to be nothing, no little guy left for me to protect if I don't do this. Exactly. I love that about him so much. It's It almost just shows that he's just always thinking about others. Like he's always thinking about the safety yeah. of others and if everyone else is going to be okay in these moments or because of this outside situation that's going to be happening, like are other people going to be okay? And again, like rooted in the fact that he's such a selfless individual. Absolutely. Did you highlight any other moments from infinity war? Uh, not, no, not really. I, for the most part, I sticked to the Spider-Man movies because I mean, with Infinity War two and like even Endgame, we don't get a lot of his character right to show. And like, I feel like the only thing I would point out from Infinity War was, you know, his 
plan to save Doctor Strange and just like those little yeah. tiny moments. Yeah, that was the big one from Infinity War that stood out to me. And of course, followed by Tony saying to him, kid, you're an Avenger now, which to your point earlier, that's the juxtap- that's the juxtaposition of this kid refrain he keeps hearing with the term Avenger, which is something that he mm-hmm. wanted so badly to be back in Homecoming. And now there's like uh, the reality sinking out of what that really means for him. Yeah. And uh, that juxtaposition is, is really interesting. I didn't identify anything specific from Endgame either. I mean, I think I think uh, bringing up Endgame and that parting scene between him and Tony is just going to make us devolve into into tears. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I, yeah, purposely avoided that moment <laughs> for good reason. Um, but I do got to say... But that know, definitely did play a big part in... His growth. That big, that really big loss for him, definitely. Yeah. Leading it to Far From Home. Yes. Impacted him a lot. Absolutely. So Far From Home, what are some of the standout moments there in terms of Peter's uh, character arc? We, we've touched, we've touched on a lot. I think we have already (laughs) touched on a lot. Yeah. We don't need to retread too much ground, but if there's anything we haven't touched on or if, um, if there are a couple of, of, of standout Mm -hmm. lines we haven't gotten to yet. Well, I won't, I won't get too into it then since we've kind of touched on it a bit, but you know, him just like talking about wanting to just enjoy the trip with his friends. And, you know, he just wants to tell MJ how he feels again. He's just a kid. He wants to take this moment for himself to do something for himself, especially after the events of infinity war losing five years, but then it not actually being five years for him. It's basically mere minutes that he lost and coping with that. But then just adapting to this new world post blip and having this chance to go on this trip. And, you know, he wants to hang out with Ned. He wants to tell MJ how he feels like he doesn't want to have to worry about like hero things, but of course he does the responsible thing that he knows he needs to do, but it's one of those like little moments where I'm like, ah, you couldn't just let this kid go on vacation and just like be happy (laughs) for once for just for once. One of the silliest little moments in Far From Home that I really love is when he's like going through customs or security or whatever at the oh airport. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> and, and like the 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 agent, the the attendant is looking at the Spider Man suit and just like kind of looking at him, and then <laughs> tells him that he can't bring the banana. <laughs> it, it's so the silly. look of panic on his face, yeah. <laughs> and he's just like, "Oh my god, she knows." <laughs> that's so good that's not not one of my choices for like huge milestone peter parker moments but i just couldn't help but think of that when you were talking about his vacation oh man one of my other favorite things not to get on too much of a tangent but what i love in homecoming and far from home are the really fun montages set to 80s music where in the oh, first gosh, one when he's getting ready for the dance aunt may is like teaching him to dance putting on his tie and then in far from home the air the airport um excuse me the airplane scene so good mm-hmm. Great soundtracks. I've like talked about soundtracks and like music and stuff before. And I'm like, the Spider-Man music. Oh my gosh. Like Homecoming Far From Home. It's so good. Just the song choices they make for it. I'm like 10 out of 10. I These are songs and artists and just music genres I absolutely love. Completely agree. Um, Other moments from Far From Home, like you said, I think we kind of touched on them. That moment when he realizes slash asserts, you know, I'm not Iron Man and then kind of goes from there is is really important for all the reasons we said. And, um, you know, shout out 
to Trey, who I, I did a Spider-Man episode with in anticipation of No Way Home, and we were talking about some of our favorite Spider-Man moments, and he talked about the scene in which he's he's fighting at Tower Bridge with um, with Mysterio and the drones, and how he kind of you, you alluded to it already too, like he takes inspiration from the heroes that he's looked up to. Mm -hmm. And he has that resourcefulness, as you said, kind of fashioning the shield for himself. It looks like the hammer. And that's that's a visually an important moment in his story too, I think, symb right? symbolically. The other one that I had was, because obviously throughout this movie, he's dealing with kind of that loss of his spidey sense. And yeah. that moment when it all comes back to him and he really tunes into it, to take down Mysterio and that just like final fight. Oh so good. my goodness. Absolutely iconic. And one of my favorite parts of far from home. Yeah. That moment gets me every time with like when uh, the gun goes off, right. Mysterio like shoots oh, into the air, but Peter wow. grabs it. It's so, it's so good. <laughs> oh man, Peter. He, in that moment, he's just like, no, like you're, to Mysterio, he's just like, you're done, like, you're done tormenting me, you're done trying to take down others for your selfish gain because, like, of your anger and your troubles from pa the past or whatever, like, you're just done. Yeah. You're not going to cause any more harm. So and it's good. just, oh, it's such a wonderful moment. So then, transitioning, of course, more things happen to Peter in between. We can't touch on every moment here. But if you want to hear Ellie talk about more moments from these movies, you can check out her podcast, Oh Shoot. She has episodes about Homecoming and Far From Home and No Way Home. And you can check out my episodes, certainly, that I've done with my various guests on, on, well, on Homecoming and Far From Home. And then No Way Home, I've done a first impressions. I haven't done a deep dive yet. going to wait for, uh, for it to come out on streaming or, or physical media. All that to say, we know we're missing some moments here. But transitioning for Peter's journey now, this is perhaps the most exciting part of the journey for us because it is still fresh into No Way Home. What are some of the standout oh, moments here? There's so many. There are so many. Some of them are there quite sad. So many. I, most <laughs> of mine aren't happy ones. So. Yes. Yes. Most of mine, because I really narrowed it down and I like chose just a few moments, but mm -hmm. they're a bit later in the movie. So if you have anything earlier, on prior to May's death, I think you should go first. Okay, I have one prior to May's death. May's death is like the big, well, there's like two really big ones here. May's death is one of them, and then a couple smaller ones. A smaller one that I have earlier on in the film that I do think is really important, going back to kind of what you were saying about the establishment of him as, as being a, uh, a really smart kid back in Homecoming, when he traps Doctor Strange with math, that was great. <laughs> oh, my um, gosh. <laughs> wow. See that revisiting of that part of his character that, you know, uh, what's what's cooler than magic? Math. Like, <laughs> it's so nerdy and so great. And that, I mean, that whole mirror dimension fight scene is awesome. And of course, you know, know. <laughs> morally, this scene is really important. This is his making his assertion against Strange to say, I look up to you. You're one of my heroes, too. We've fought side by side, but I think you're wrong on this one, and I'm going to trap mm -hmm. you here. I think, obviously, you know, ethically, that that's a really important scene, but also so cool and so tied to who he is in the MCU that he that he uses his math prowess here. Right. I just act. I, I really love that line where he's just like, <laughs> like this is just geometry. You're great at geometry, <laughs> and I'm like, that's wow. So good. 
I'm like, you're such a nerd. Why? <laughs> oh <my goodness. laughs> but that really does take a strong mind to just like recognize those shapes. I am bad at geometry. So I definitely did not clue into that until he said it. Incredibly impressive. <laughs> it's amazing. But yeah, he just like, he uses his wits and it's incredible. Mm -hmm. All right. We have to talk about it because it's obviously a huge moment in his journey. Aunt May's death. Oh, gosh. The, oh my goodness. I don't even know. I'm like, how do you even begin (laughs) with this moment? Because it is such an impactful moment for Peter Mm -hmm. because of course he's faced a lot of loss in his life. You know, he watched his mentor that he looked up to die in front of him. And, but then you have Aunt May, who's been his mother figure, who's raised him. And they've had such a close bond that we've seen throughout the movies. And we, you, it's clear how much May means to Peter. And in this moment where, again, we were a bit blindsided. Like it seemed like she was going to be okay. And it seemed like she was going to be okay with Peter as well. Like she, there was no clear injury, but then the realization set in, she's not doing well. She's, you know, weakening, she's dying. But Peter in that moment, like he needs to stay strong and he's talking to her, you know, telling her it's going to be okay, like nothing's wrong to not scare her or to worry her. And he's trying so hard to like not even show his fear of that realization that she's dying. And oh goodness. And then of course, after her death and him reeling from it and that powerful moment and that guilt beginning to set in, especially when he's listening to J. Jonah Jameson. Mm Mm-hmm talking about it and how like destruction like follows wherever Spider-Man goes and essentially like on screen he's saying all of this harm all of this death happened because of him and of course that's not anything like he shouldn't be hearing this right now because of course none of it was his fault but it's such an impactful moment for his character because it is he's getting hit with that realization of what really can happen with having these powers of having to face off with villains because now because of his fight with a villain someone he cares for very deeply died because of it and he feels like she died for nothing that's what that's what he says Mm -hmm. up on the roof shortly thereafter which is uh this this is this is the lowest moment for for him across the entirety of the time we've seen him in the MCU including Tony Stark's death like it this is this is the lowest and for me watching this unfold the first time I saw it in the theater I like you I know you mentioned this on your show too like there's that moment where you think she's going to be okay because she gets up and she's talking about it and you're like oh okay so they're not actually going to kill her and then she says the line <laughs> and then you know they're oh going to kill her it's the line <laughs> as fans you just knew what was coming <laughs> yeah and uh and I know you talked about that on your show which which I thought was so funny because it's it's so true and, and not not really funny haha as, as you know <laughs> I was I was in, very, tears in this moment in a very dark way <laughs> uh-huh um but yeah you know and then that scene to to kind of piggyback on where you're at in that scene, in the aftermath, 
once we go to the rooftop and I mean, which such emotional whiplash, by the way, because after that, that's when we get the portals and everybody's so excited and <laughs> and Andrew and Toby are here. It's like, should I should I be screaming and laughing? Should I be crying? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all of the above. Um, but one of my when I was on um, when I was on MCU Need to Know Trey and Jude's show, we were counting down our favorite, our five favorite moments in the MCU in 2021. And on my list was if I had to just pick one from No Way Home, it was the rooftop scene. And not only did that feel like the culmination of 20 years in terms of nostalgia and feeling and seeing these three Spider-Mans together for for the first time, but I really love that the first time we see them, he, our Peter is in such a dark place. You know, she's gone. It's all my fault. She died for nothing. Mm -hmm. I'm done, right? Like, you guys yeah. deal with this. I don't He's care anymore. I, like, for Peter Parker, the kid who... Every other line in his in his first few appearances, that's awesome. That's awesome, right? Like he's so mm -hmm. excited, he's so eager, and now he's the kid who he's sitting there and he's being faced with two variants of himself from alternate universe. I mean, any other version of Peter would have been like, you know, if we had seen this happen earlier on in the timeline, he would have been like, that's awesome, you know. <laughs> um, yeah. But here he is. He's not even reacting. He's just like, I don't care anymore. I'm I'm done. Like. Oh my gosh, what a low moment. And then the beauty of the other Spider-Men guiding him through his feelings. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's so good. Oh goodness, especially when they start talking on their losses, when you have like Toby's Peter talking about Uncle Ben and then Andrew's Peter talking mm -hmm. about Gwen and then even all of them collectively talking about the V-line. Mm -hmm. that with great power there must also come great responsibility and just peter's tom's peter's kind of shock that they know the line yeah. and that they both heard this line before their uncles passed what a beautiful moment and that's just almost a way that really connects them all together having that loss and like having that line to guide them and to bring them a bit of purpose. Oh yeah. That concept of purpose, which is so, so central here. Other moments that you have from no way home specifically related to MCU Peter's arc. Cause there's so many other good moments, but what else uh, would stand out from so this one? Many. Oh goodness. There's so many, but I will just give one more. I'll give two more actually. <laughs> I looked down and I saw another moment and I was like, never mind, two more. So the first one, of course, is at the end when he just asks Doctor Strange to cast a spell yeah. for everyone to forget who Peter Parker is. That ultimate sacrifice. Because again, like he's lost so much and essentially all he has now is like two two people that he's very close with, Ned and MJ. And to sacrifice those relationships and just to sacrifice the fact of anyone knowing him and his entire identity for the greater good to prevent all of these horrific villains from coming through from all sorts of universes that you don't even know what their powers are going to be like. Yeah. That ultimate sacrifice that he makes is just, it's so impactful and really also just ties together all of his experiences and everything he's gone through and how he's learned along the way and that acceptance of his power. 
Yeah, I think that's so well said that it's a moment of acceptance. It, it's a moment of of really putting the the famous line into action and and a moment of really embracing that purpose. And to that end, kind of like the last moment that I was going to mention is just generally speaking, his decision to keep swinging in the end, right? Like <laughs> this decision to, <laughs> despite everything and this choice he made, this incredibly selfless choice that he made, the fact that he he keeps going out there and fighting for the little guy in the end and he's, he's swinging past the Rockefeller Christmas tree. I was just like, man, what a way, what a way to end right? this movie. What was the your one- other one? The other one happens just before this, okay. and that's when he walks out of the shop without telling. MJ oh my gosh! Oh and my that gosh! Moment because like yes. he sees the band aid on her forehead, and everything just it's it's like in that moment, everything comes flooding back, all of those memories and that realization. Like it's a minor injury, but she still got hurt because of his fight. Mm-hmm. And that's what he's kind of like focusing on. And then that recognition of looking at MJ and Ned and how happy they are, you know, they're going to be going to MIT, like they're friends, like everything's, they're going to be okay. And that realization that they're going to be safer without him in their lives. And that knowledge that he's Spider-Man. Yeah. It hurts me. Yeah. (laughs) But again, it like shows his growth and just how just everything coming together of all of his experiences and that realization again. No, you're absolutely it's right. It's him underlining and putting an exclamation point and bolding the decision that he made in having strange do the spell, which is I'm not going to immediately go out there and tell these people and shake up their lives. Right. That decision to walk away is so, so powerful. And I think it it's definitely also rooted in, kind of learning about who he can be without anybody knowing his identity or like knowing who he is. And like, there's so, I'm probably going to talk about it later, but like touching on how much more he can grow as a person. Absolutely. And I think that that's, it leaves us in a really cool place too. I mean, we, we kind of started this conversation looking at what do other people say about him? How do other people define him? How might that stand in contrast to how he sees himself? Well, now nobody can tell him anything, <laughs> right? Exactly. He's not hes not perceived any, anymore. <laughs> I mean, Spider-Man is, is perceived. There's a, a knowledge of Spider-Man in the world, but it's not tied to him as Peter Parker. So mm-hmm. it really is that that fresh slate. And, and not only did he have to have a really strong sense of self to make that decision, but he needs to cultivate an even stronger sense of self moving forward because he doesn't have, I mean, one of the things I talked about with Trey is like, relationships are so central to the Peter Parker story in any iteration that we've ever seen. So to strip him of that is really, really cool and daring when it comes to storytelling. And I know like you, I'm I'm hoping that we do get to see more of that. Fingers crossed. (laughs) I know, right? Well, one of the other things that I wanted to do in these character spotlight episodes, and this is the first one, so this will be this will be new here is I wanted to play around with this idea of if we were to create a playlist for this character. So if you and I were to collaborate, Ellie, on a Peter Parker character playlist, what might be on it? So I I chose a handful of songs that I think would, would go well on Peter's playlist. Do you have a handful of songs as well? 
Yes. I actually thought <laughs> I saw this and I laughed because I already have a Peter Parker playlist. Amazing. Okay. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, as I do for many other characters as well. Oh, great. <laughs> so I was like, okay, going to pull up the playlist and take a look, see what songs are there. And it's, it had been a while since I've updated the playlist. So I did some discovery on some other songs that I will be adding to it, but cool. I was so excited when I saw this. I was like, yes, Peter Parker playlist. Let's do this. That's awesome. I'd love to talk to you more about this process of doing character plays because it's something that I've I've thought about and like years ago in my life uh, played around with. Yeah, I, I haven't actually officially done this with any MCU characters, but it's something that I, I was curious about. So you should you should. I, yeah, yeah. It's and I'd love fun. to check out yours as well. I have it on my Spotify. I actually cool. linked my, I made them all public. So I linked my Spotify to my link tree. So if anyone wants to check them out, they're there. <laughs> that is an excellent idea. So people can check that out and I'll make sure, obviously, I'm going to link to your link tree in the show notes. And, uh, you know, perhaps the the highlights from your playlist and then the few that I'm going to bring up, maybe we can make our own. I'll, I'll post it as a as a YouTube playlist or something like that if people want to hear yes. the character oh gosh, spotlight Peter Parker <laughs> episode um, collaborative between you and me. So why don't you why don't you tell us uh, some of the songs that you have there on that list and, and why they make you think of Peter Parker? So some of the songs I have like rationale for like actual explanations but some of them I heard the song and it just made me think okay Peter Parker I hear that whether that be something that describes his character well or a song I heard and I was like I feel like he would listen to this song cool so it's like a a nice little mix but I'm like where do I start because some of these songs aren't happy (laughs) (laughs) that's the problem with it okay um, we'll start off with a bit of emotion, I guess. One of the songs I have is I'll Be Good by James Young. And okay. this one really stuck out for me because there's several lines. And one of them is, I never meant to start a fire. I never meant to make you bleed. I'll be a better man today. And as well, I'll be good. I'll be good for all the light that I shut out, for all the innocent things that I doubt, for all the bruises of cause and the tears. And it really made me think of like his connection with like Aunt May and her and her death and like what that means to him. And almost like that, it's difficult because it takes in that, okay, some of this was caused because of my actions and I never meant for these things to happen, but that also promise of being good and sticking true to his heart and his goodness and promising that he's going to do good for himself, Spider-Man, but also good for Aunt May. That's beautiful. So that great starting choice. off emotional, but <laughs> very emotional. That's a great choice. Okay. This is another not happy one. <laughs> All right. I'm ready. Um, but till forever falls apart by Ash and Phineas. I, I mean, some people are over this song because I think it got played over the radio like a thousand times, but I don't listen to the radio. So I just listen to it on repeat <laughs> because I wanted to, but I, this song felt like just a testament to his relationships, particularly with Ned and a little bit with MJ as well. And just that kind of idea of like, no matter what was going to happen, no matter what bad thing happened, no matter what obstacle that they were going to stick by each other's side, especially with 
Peter and Ned because they're my favorite best friends across media. Yeah. I love them so much, but they were always there for another. And that love and that trust was never going to break until, you know, like the end of times. And in the case of the MCU, up until the moment where he makes that choice to sacrifice his identity for the well-being of everyone. But that love is still there. Even if Ned, you know, doesn't know who he is anymore, Peter still has that for his best friend. Oh, that's so lovely. These are really sweet choices. Very emotional. I, thought, I really thought about them a lot. <laughs> um, but I mean, maybe I'll change it up. Let's do a happy song. <laughs> okay, okay. Because I do have a lot of sad songs, which is unfortunate, but <laughs> I was very no, I like much the pain. in tune with the no way home and the horrible experiences that he's gone through. But on a lighter sense, Left Hand Free by Alt-J, iconic. That's the first yeah. song we hear in Civil War when we get reintroduced to the, this character within the MCU. And it just feels iconic of this character now. And like I hear it and I can't not think about Peter. Every single time I hear the song, I can't not think about him. Even though it was like used a lot in the promotion for Outer Banks, which like, again, like I love oh, that okay. show as well. But when I hear the song, my mind goes, Peter Parker. I see Queens. I see, like, I can just I agree. visualize it so clearly. And also, I just feel like this is definitely a song that he would listen to. It I just completely agree. Feels like he would vibe to this one. Then, oh my gosh, I'm like looking through my big list. All right. Another happy one that I feel like is very much just kind of like his character again is another classic, The Underdog by Spoon. Yeah, that was on my list too. Right. It's a good one. Like he very much is the underdog and a lot of people do kind of like view him that way just Mm -hmm. as a hero and as a person. And it's like sometimes like the expectations for him aren't that high because again, like some people don't like realize how far he's going to go or what he's going to do with his power or even how much of it he has. So he's definitely a bit of an underdog. Yeah, I think that song really fits the vibe well, too. It's another one. Like, honestly, a lot of the songs that are played in his movies fit very well like they've they've they chose really they good, were chosen good songs. well exactly. they were chosen really well it's like um, but someone a, did their homework especially that one in left hand free i i agree i was also kind of thinking along the lines of those types of songs and that kind of general style i guess you could say mm-hmm. i was thinking along those lines and i i chose a few songs i feel like that kind of kind of fit with that vibe and i chose my body by young the giant and nice. which feels like a good coming of age song and also kind of like that style of alternative rock music that I feel like Peter would like and where I associate with him because of these needle drops in the movies. I chose Tongue Tied by Group Love. And oh, that's a good one. I was thinking about that one. Yeah, it, that feels so Peter to me. Peter also is like, when I'm thinking about songs related to Peter, I'm thinking about him being a teen and how interested he is in girls like he's always got a crush on someone (laughs) and I feel like he you know I kind of remember like I remember being a teen and always having a crush on someone and making so many playlists and I I feel like uh, 
that would definitely play a part in in the type of music that that he would like or that I associate with him. Uh, he's a New Yorker, so I picked a song by The Strokes called Twelve Fifty One, which is one of my favorite Perfect. songs by The Strokes, and like kind of also captures some of that teenage longing. And um, what else? What else do you have? Um, all right, I won't give like a lot of reasons for them, but I had like Somebody to You by The Vamps. I had uh, The Night We Met. Lord, you're, oh God, I can never say this word. Lord, you're on. Oh, Lord, you're on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're on. Yeah. Um, Exile, Taylor Swift, Safe and Sound, Taylor Swift, the Civil Wars. Ooh, great and then I had, oh my God, I had so many sad ones. I'm like looking at my list now and I'm like, oh my God, where was my mind going? <laughs> um, I have a very specific version of a cover of Night Changes by One Direction. Ooh. It is night changes slowed by dancing room cool just something about like the energy and but also like looking at the lyrics of the songs i was like like talking about like oh how fast the night changes like Mm -hmm. how fast the situation changed from him having all these people in his lives and knowing people who know him to nobody knowing him yeah it all happened so quickly and then i had are you with me by nilu um, I also had Happier by Ed Sheeran because I heard the mm-hmm. song and I was like, oh man, <laughs> I feel like this is like when he's looking at MJ and Aww. sees her happy. Yeah. And he's just like thinking like, oh, like I never meant, obviously context is different in the song, but like he never meant to hurt her or put her in danger or any of that. And he can see that she's happy right now. And that's what kind of like matters. That in this moment, like she's doing good and she's happy. I love how much you leaned into like the emotion and the angst of this because I, I went in a little bit of the other direction. So I, 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 the ones I already shared with you. And then I was also, I was thinking about like this, like teen Peter Parker crushing Mm -hmm. on girls who doesn't know the difference between ACDC and Zeppelin, right? Like, oh my God. <laughs> so I know I'm, on it, the playlist I have for him, I have back in black for that reason. It's so good. And he, you know, he's very much uh, that kid who he recognizes the song and I'm not going to tease him too much for not knowing the difference between those bands, but like, you know that he would like that music, but not be super aware mm-hmm. of it. I do mm-hmm. think that when he's uh, studying, when he's working out, when he's daydreaming about Liz or MJ or now, I mean, I don't even want to think about in the current, okay, with the heartbreak. You've got you've got the heartbreak songs covered. Thinking about the <laughs> earlier it's okay. <laughs> the earlier, earlier, happier times, I had a couple of songs like Holding Out for a Hero by Bonnie Tyler, which Iconic. <laughs> he it's it's on the soundtrack to Footloose, and we know because he says to Peter Quill and he knows Footloose. Yeah. So he probably, (laughs) yes, he probably does not know the artist behind that song, but he probably likes it and would definitely like listen to that working out, I think. Um, I think he definitely, (laughs) I could see it. And then the kind of like the, the cheesy, yes, he likes cool alternative rock, but you know, he also likes top 40 because he's just, you know, he's a teen. He's got that influencer vibe he watches youtube i have intentions by justin bieber which is a really sweet like romantic song that i think peter parker (laughs) would appreciate and we found love by rihanna those are some great songs (laughs) those are some great songs between the two of us we are all over the place in terms of genre and uh level of pain and emotion (laughs) which is i feel like it's perfect for his character though 
because he's, you know, he's kind of like Tony. He's got all these like different layers and all these different elements of what makes him him. He does. It all plays into it. And I think it's perfect. It does. It does. You know, talking about some of this coming up very soon, once listeners will be hearing this very soon, is Valentine's Day. And I got to ask you, is is Peter Parker like your MCU crush? Um, It's very conflicting because I'm like, because I still see him as like a 17 year old. Uh-huh. I'm like, or like a kid. I'm like, that's a little weird to me. Got it. Maybe the but question I'm is, like, is Tom, Tom Holland? Holland? Okay. Tom, oh, yes, absolutely. Tom <laughs> Holland. Are you kidding me? Um, it's so it's so funny because like with my friends, um, we all know each other's like MCU crushes and like whatnot. And like we'll always like tease each other because collectively we all love like Tom Holland, Tom Hiddleston, Sebastian Stan, and Mr. Christopher Evans, of course. Mm-hmm. And it's just like I'm like collectively all of them are my Valentine's Day crush. <laughs> there you go. Because that was my next question is like, who in the MCU would you want to spend Valentine's Day with? Oh, that's actually a really good question. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what? I feel like 1940s Bucky would be great. Oh, great choice. <laughs> I feel like, you know, we'd go out for dinner and we'd like go out dancing. I feel like it would be so cute and almost like the perfect idealistic Valentine's Day. And like, that's the who okay maybe it's just me but i'm like i would love to go out for a nice dinner and then go dancing like proper like ballroom style dancing after this it just seems there's something really fun about it yeah that sounds really sweet i i think that's a that's a really good pick uh since i threw that question at you last minute i it felt like you were prepared with that (laughs) even though you weren't but maybe you spend time thinking about it i don't know (laughs) Uh, well with my friends we think about all possibities when it comes to the mcu we're like like, who would we date who if i've had this conversation with like my friends before we're like okay if we were like characters within the mcu yeah like who would we be like would we have a relation to a character like would we would we be someone's sibling? Would we be mm. like someone's kid or, you know, some completely brand new character who just gets thrown into the hail fire that is the Avengers <laughs> and whatnot. So it's just like one of those like hypotheticals and like almost like a creative exercise. It is. That's I, a really point fun being, exercise. I do think about it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, 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 it's definitely a fun exercise. And there's also like, there's a line between, so like MCU crushes, right? Do I have a gigantic crush on Florence Pugh? Yes, I do. Oh my God, who doesn't? Like, do I have a crush on Yelena? <laughs> yes, I do. But do I want to date Yelena? I don't know. <laughs> I, I feel like dating Yelena would be a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, Kate Bishop, I would date Kate Bishop. I'm also a little similar to Kate Bishop, I think, but I I would be okay with it. I mean, she's a little, a little young for me, but we know she's 22, so she, everything's above board there. Uh, a little younger than I am now, but it's especially like thinking about when I was a little younger, like, yeah, Kate Bishop would absolutely be who I'd want to spend Valentine's Day with. I think we would like go get pizza in New York. That sounds that sounds pretty cute. That would be a wonderful, day. especially like yeah. if you're in New York and just obviously idealistic fictional New York is a little better than <laughs> real <laughs> yes. life. But <laughs> that would be so great. And I feel like Kate, like she would know the best spot to get pizza. Oh, definitely. And then maybe we'd go to the dog park. We'd like hang out with the dog. Like, perfect. There's like nothing, nothing could beat that for me. That would be amazing. That would be really And she, 
Kate Bishop, totally crushworthy because she is a hero and she is somebody who is doing the right thing and she's strong and she's powerful, but she's also still learning. So she's not like totally intimidating. Yelena is a little too intimidating. Like, you know, she could literally kill you. Um, (laughs) Before you could like even blink. Yeah. (laughs) And she'd be proud of it too. Um, Right. Okay. You said Florence Pugh, but is there um, other like actor, MCU actor that you kind of have a crush on? Oh my gosh. Who do I not have a crush on? Uh, Oh my God. Uh, Right. Okay. That is the real question. (laughs) (laughs) They're all so wonderful. I mean, this is a wonderful cast and and crew of people here. I've always had a crush on Brie Larson. She is, is definitely a big pick. Carol Danvers would make a great Valentine's Day. Massive girl crush on her. Oh my goodness. She is, I love Brie Larson so much. Love Carol. Uh, that for a long time she was my my number one, and it, you know Kate Bishop and Yelena are newer, so I've I've been giving them more attention. And um, I don't know if this makes me basic or what, but I ride or die Natasha Romanoff, Scarlett Johansson, always. I mean Scarlett Johansson has been a crush of mine since I was like a young teenager. So <laughs> Scarlett <laughs> Johansson is always going to be toward the top of the list of of that um of that question. But uh, Natasha is also one of those characters where. I just look up to her so much. I admire her so much. I, I she is such an incredible character. Yeah. And I, you know, it is what it is, but I will to this day wish there was just more. Yeah, I know. For her character that we got more and that her character was given the respect that she deserves. I know. But, you know, it is what it is. Maybe some at some point in the future if they ever choose to re reboot the Avengers or reintroduce these characters well see a better representation of her story wise and writing wise yeah I'm excited to do do a deep dive into her character as well because there there are so many low moments like like in terms of Iron Man 2 and Age of Ultron that just mm-hmm. to your point just didn't do the character justice but then there's also some really beautiful moments as well uh, in Winter Soldier and in Civil War that yeah. really start to get at this fuller picture of who this person really is. And then I think, unfortunately, like she just wasn't given as much time to shine in like Endgame, for example. Right. Um, but then the uh, Black Widow movie. What I appreciate about it was that we got a taste of it in Endgame. Yeah. Like, just a bit of how much like the Avengers mean to her and how she really became a leader. And mm-hmm. yeah. And that it, it felt reciprocal that the Avengers meant so much to her being her family and that also she was really an undeniably important role on that team, which made it hurt all the more like that there right. wasn't really she that really big funeral heart. moment. She really, really was. Oh, Natasha, ScarJo, love we her miss so much. You. <laughs> I know, miss her so much. Man, so I guess we kind of went on a tangent there, a little Valentine's Day related a uh, <laughs> tangent on well, uh, MCU up, so crushes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, before we wrap up here today on our character spotlight on Peter Parker, we touched on it a little bit already, but what comes next for this character in the MCU? Where where does he go from here? Well, I hope this isn't the end. I know, me too. <laughs> There's such, so many like, conflicting articles out there of whether or not Tom is going to be a part of this character moving forward, because of course the next movie was confirmed that it would be getting into like the development of the storyline and whatnot. But Tom is out there teasing us about whether or not he's going to be involved. Mm -hmm. But my hope definitely is that we will see, you know, Tom Holland's 
Peter Parker back on this like new journey as Spider-Man and continuing to grow and learn and adapt to this new life of nobody knowing who he is and just going really down to the roots of Peter Parker and like how he's presented in the comics because of course um, one of the major criticisms that a lot of fans had had about this character was that he seemed so reliant on like Tony Stark and like his technology and how we never got to experience him like living on his own, like broke and like having to like pick up all of these like little jobs to make ends meet, to make rent, you know, taking photos of himself as Spider-Man to give to date, like to give to the daily bugle. Like, I think it would be amazing to see that rendition within the MCU of him trying to live normally as he can while having the responsibilities of Spider-Man and just the introduction of new characters and hopefully getting that connection back with Ned and MJ. Like I don't want it to just be over with no way home. And like, I'll definitely understand if they choose that to happen and they introduce someone new in the next movie. But I, my true hope is that they continue moving forward. I agree with you completely. I think there is still so much story that can be told here. There, as you said, there's still a, a wealth of of story uh, source material in terms of comics, and there's so much more that we know that Tom can do and do so well. And on that note, we will have to kind of leave that up in the air. What will be will be. But before don't we disappoint s- us, Kevin. <laughs> no, Kevin, if you're listening, um, <laughs> before we sign off here today, I just want to thank you so much again, Ellie. This was a really fun conversation. You were the perfect guest to talk about Spider-Man with, and I appreciate that very much. If our listeners would like to hear more from you, remind us again where we can find you and your work online. Yeah, sure thing. So, I mean, thank you again for inviting me. The second, I remember when you messaged me, I was like, yes, absolutely, yes. (laughs) I would love to be a part of this. I'm like, I would never say no to any opportunity talking about Peter Parker or Spider-Man. Amazing. Um, but you can find me on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter at Oh Shoot Podcast. And if you want to listen to any of my episodes, my link tree is available on each of the social media sites. But I am on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, which are my probably two most popular listening platforms. And you can just look up Oh Shoot and I will be there with all of my episodes ready for you. Awesome. And I'm going to make sure that I have a link to that in the show notes as well. Beauty. Thank you so much again, Ellie. Thank you. (laughs) Should really be thanking you because, I mean, I feel like I talk to my friends enough about this. So I'm like, if I can have a chance to like talk to someone (laughs) who actually wants to talk about it, I'm like, yes. Thank you. (laughs) I'm so glad that that we have found each other. And by we, I mean you and me and all all of the people in this larger community who have been so wonderful it's and a so great welcoming. community isn't it it's it's been really really nice to just be around so many people who are enthusiastic and passionate and positive and love these characters and love these these movies and um thank you for for being a part of it thank you it really makes the experience better when you 
are able to have these connections and to be able to talk with people who love these movies as much as you do. So definitely. Yeah. If anyone is curious about the community and you want to get involved, you should. If you enjoyed this first episode in the Character Spotlight series, you can follow the podcast at anidea underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Artwork by Brooke Pender and music by Demeter Salvia. You can find links to their work as well as to our guest this week, Ellie, and her podcast, Oh Shoot, in the show notes. As always, thank you for listening. Stay tuned. Next week, I'll be talking about the Hawkeye Assembled special and the Moon Knight trailer. And please stay tuned in the future for some more entries in the Character Spotlight series. <laughs>